our memory verse today. We always like to start with a good memory verse. It has to do with our, uh, uh, our message, and that comes to us today from Ephesians 5.21. It says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And boy, does that set the, the whole, uh, uh, the heart for this next message. I think God uh, is, he's really good and kind of primes us for that. So here's something so important. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Isn't that a powerful passage? I mean, it just goes right down into really a, a really a heart issue. Because in our world, it's, it's about power, isn't it? That's what most people want, people just to submit to them. And remember, all the way through Ephesians, God has been helping us see that there's a new life that he has for us, a whole new culture that he's calling us to. Right? And it doesn't operate the ways of this world. It's important that we get that because... If you try to apply what we're learning today, what Scripture says, this is how I want my kingdom to operate, this is how God says I want his, his culture to operate. If you try to apply that using the operation, how the world works, it, it becomes a very abusive, bad system. If you want to, to start to living the way that God wants us to and to, to apply the details of, of, of how God's system operates, you need to apply it in the, in the heart and the spirit that God designed it to work in. Otherwise, it just breaks down. It becomes something very awful. And so that passage, I think, is so important for us to see that we begin with a whole different understanding, a whole different paradigm for how, how things operate. And God's kingdom is different than this world. We have to understand that. Now, today it is about finding harmony in the home. And I think what a timely message that is because our homes typically don't have a lot of harmony. At least culturally, they do not. Um, you know, when, when we live in a nation where over half of our children are now being raised in homes without two parents, and a nation where over half of the, the adults who have been married have suffered the pain and the sting of divorce, I think that we find that there is, there's turmoil in the home. And it doesn't surprise me that that's really what we find in this culture, because home is what we were created in. It was the first of the institutions, the very first things that God made. It is core to who we are, and it makes sense then, as people, we want to run things our way, that we're going to change that very core thing. And so in our culture now, we have two versions of, of home. In fact, there's really major, there's one. And, and as we look at, at how our culture says that the home should operate, it's not typically a place of peace or of harmony. Most movies show the home as a place that might be safe, but it's also a place where it's safe to basically uh, rip down your partner, where kids are safe to, to rip down their parents. It, it's a place where it, it's encouraged that we're supposed to have arguments and strife, a place that we have lots of jokes running where the home is the last place that you would probably want to go after work or something like this. Around uh, this time of year, when we think about Thanksgiving, a lot of people think about, boy, this is going to be a battle. I have to go and see all of my relatives and in-laws. Our culture has made home a war. Our culture has made home the place that we don't want to go, the last place, the place that we escape from, and that is the opposite of a different way that God has for us. See, in God's culture, the way that God designed it and, and, the, and the place that he wants us to live in, if we want to build a community of grace, home is something different. And I know today that what God teaches us in this is countercultural. He didn't write it to be countercultural. He wrote it because there's a new culture to call us to. There's a new way to live. 
And so as we go through this, this is offensive as it is for us today as it was for the first readers. In the culture of Rome, home was also a place that was minimized. It was a place where there was all kinds of trouble and all those types of things. It was offensive to his first readers and it will be offensive to our culture today. But I will tell you this. God's not being mean. He's not being, that he's not belittling anybody or anything like this in this. He's saying this. There is a way that the people in the world do things and it hurts people. And there's a way that God's kingdom works and it helps people. And he offers us the invitation to choose a different way. Aren't you glad for that? And it's a way that's built upon his truth in his life. It's a way that's based upon all of the things that we read so far in Ephesians. Where those first half, right? Those first three chapters where he talks about everything that God has done for us. What a graceful God, what a wonderful God that we have. That provides everything that we need to live a whole new life. And in that, a God then that that encourages us to start living in that new life. That we can actually take off that old self, that old dead life, that way of living that didn't work. And to put on a whole new way of life. And then this, to put away sin and all the ways, that the things that just don't work and hurt other people. And after he does that, remember last week he talks about these broad strokes of of being a community that, that is based upon truth and love, and purity, and how that kind of lifestyle starts to grow fruits in us and changes who we are from the inside out, to be the type of person that is kind, and loving, and gentle, and patient, and good. God's inviting us into a whole new culture, and in in order for the family to operate that it needs to operate, all of those other things need to be in place. We need to be people that are committed to living according to the operations of a new culture. We need to be the kind of people that are taking off the old self, the selfishness, the, the self-domination, right? the, the idea that power is just about me and making people do what I want, the self-worship. We have to put that away. We have to put on a whole new way, a, a kind of life that is committed to God's way, a kind of life that is committed to purity, a kind of life that is committed to, to serving others. And with that type of change, a type of community that, that is unified in purity, the type of community that is, that is filled with light, that's the kind of community that this type of home that now is revealed to us can actually operate. And the most amazing thing is it works and it's great and there can be harmony in our homes. So we get to this, and, but in order to see that it is a change of, of culture, We have to understand that when people have throughout history tried to apply this way of life, but tried to apply it in terms of how the world works, it has been horrible. And I think one of the things that we have to watch ourselves today is there's a couple things that we typically do. The first thing is that we we look at all the ways that this can be abused. And then we say, because it can be abused, we must throw it away. And that's a real temptation for us, isn't it? When we look at why it is abused, is it wrong because the structure is wrong or is it wrong because of the heart in which it is implied is wrong? You know, the apostles were talking with Jesus about how, or while talking with one another about the kingdom of God, and they were trying to apply the system of the world 
to, to the kingdom of God. And so they were arguing with one another about who was going to be greatest in the kingdom. Because for them, they thought it was all about authority. In fact, one of them actually had their mom, because they didn't want to do it themselves, went up to Jesus and had her ask, hey, can my boys be your, your number one, number two guys when you, know, you come in, in, in glory? Right? So that they can have all kinds of authority and they can you know, have that special place. And Jesus shows us that his kingdom operates completely different than this world. And he says to them in Mark uh, chapter 10, starting at verse 42, he says, Jesus called them together and he said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, in the kingdom of God, authority is not just a position to get what I want. Authority is an opportunity and an obligation to serve. Right? It is, it's not so much a right as it is an, as a, it's an example to set. That's really what it is. When we talk about leadership in God's kingdom, it is a totally different thing. It's why the church got messed up for so long when people thought that the role of a pastor, because I have authority, all of a sudden was like this big thing where I'm just supposed to tell you what to do and you all have to like cower. That's not what I read in the kingdom of God. That's why I read in the word of God that tells me how it operates. It says that I get to serve you. I get to lay down my life for you as your pastor to guide you and to guard you. And in light of that... Now you have an obligation to follow because I'm seeking your best interest. It is the same with this in family. It is a whole new way of being. And in that new way of being, we get to see that there is a new structure. And so hopefully it gives you time to turn to Ephesians 5. And so the first thing we want to find is that there is harmony in the home begins with harmony in the marriage. Why? Because marriage was the very first portion of Family. Do you know that in Scripture there is only two institutions that, that God actually says this is how it's supposed to operate? And this tells them this is how it's supposed to operate because they're based upon His nature. And those two are family and church. Those are the only two. Everything else. God doesn't say this is how you're supposed to do government. God doesn't ever have like a business model that says this is how you're supposed to, to set up your business or anything like that. There are a lot of institutions in this world that God says, people, you can figure it out. I gave you principles. Apply. But family and church are two that he says, this is the way I want it set up. And the reason he does that is because it, it reflects him. Adam and Eve, when they were created in the garden, Right? It says that they were made in his image, male and female. And they were, though they were two people, a male and a female, both different, they were also one, united, right? And that's marriage. And it says in that state, how God created them, he made them in his image. I think this is fascinating. There are some concepts in this that we understand that are very hard for our culture to accept. One of them is hierarchy. We don't like the idea of hierarchy. When those two things, let's say, like, uh, because in our world, we think of hierarchy as, 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 a, as a position of power and authority, and it necessitates that there's not going to be equality. But that's not the way that it works with God, because family was based upon the image of God. And in God, is there hierarchy? 
Does the son submit to the father? How often? Every time. Does the spirit submit to the father? Every time. Is this father different than the son, even though they are the same? Yeah, that's the whole concept of Trinity. And is the spirit different than the son? Do they have different roles? Do they do different things? Absolutely. And yet, is the son any less valuable than the father? Or the spirit less valuable than the son? See, we find something in the Trinity that blows our minds and is so different than the way that the world operates. It is the only place where we find that there is a hierarchy without uh, devaluation. That they are completely equal, of the same substance, absolutely equal. (laughs) And, And glory, and all those other things. But, they are different. And there's an operation. There's a way that things operate. Now, We look at that and and we think, well, okay, that can only operate in in the context of God. And yet, we look at our world. Um, Think about your job or those you retired, the jobs that you had. The company that you had, did it have a boss? Can you imagine any company in this world operating if there was no boss? Or if there were no employees, like everybody was the boss and everyone could just do what they thought they were best at? Would it work? Or how about this? Look at society. Can any society exist if there is no governing body? If people just go out and do what they want, do what they feel that they're best as, but there is no authority or anything like that in the society, will society operate? No, we call that anarchy, and we got a pretty good picture of what it looked like during the Arab Spring, didn't we? So we see that any time that we find people getting together, structure matters. Look at an army. They have to go and do stuff, right? It's pretty important. Has any army ever operated in which there were not people that were in charge and people who did stuff that had roles and responsibilities? Can you imagine if the U.S. Army, you just got into it and they said, well, do what you think is best. What you feel like you're best at, that's what you should do. And go ahead and just do it. Would we be safe? If there was no structure, no order... We would fall into chaos. We would, be, we would be compromised and weak. We understand that every single one of us submits to authority. Everyone. There's nobody in this room that doesn't practice submission on a daily basis. When you were driving to church here today, you submitted to the rules of the road, didn't you? Nobody drove on the other side of the street, I hope. <laughs> right? You submitted to the laws of the land. And it works better when that happened. We understand that in God... We understand that authority can actually be something that has nothing to do with value, but has to do with position. We see in God that there can and there's a necessity for hierarchy that has nothing to do with value. And that's what he calls us to. And that's why family and the church are the only two institutions in which God says there has to be a type of hierarchy because it reflects him. We have an obligation then. These are holy institutions to reflect him and his nature. And so within that, it starts here in verse 21. It says, submit one another out of reverence for Christ. You know, I think it's so cool that, you know, if there is hierarchy in, in the Godhead, but does the Father always just do what is just best for the Father? And he just dominates the Son and the Spirit and, and subjugates them? No. 
Because submission has very little to do with subjugation. The son willingly lays down his life and his, 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 his will to the father, doesn't he? And the father always is glorifying the son. Don't we read that throughout scripture? That it is the will of the father and the joy of the father to glorify the son? And that of the spirit? See, we understand that, that there is in the nature of God a I am about you more than I am about me mentality. It's called love. And God by nature is a God of love. And if we want to be a church and a people that are by God's nature, we need to be a people of love. And what is the opposite of love? Selfishness. And if you try to apply this type of standard into your life without love, you will mess it up. If your home is a place about, I'm going to get what I want for my good, and I'm going to force anybody to do what's good for me, then you will never have harmony in your home. Harmony in the home begins with an attitude of love. An attitude that says, I'm going to seek your good above my own, consistently. That's where it begins. And so in that, then we get to this idea that we have uh, We have wives. And wives says this, submit yourselves to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to your husbands and everything. Do you see the reason for that? We are bearing God's image. The church is the family of God. The family is just a family. <laughs> that is, represents the nature of God. And it says, wives, submit to yourselves to your husbands. Why? Because your husbands are great? Because they're perfect? No. Submit yourselves as to the Lord. This is a hard one for us because it can be abused. There can be husbands who aren't loving. And there have been a lot of husbands that have not been loving. And that is horrible. And it's awful. And this kind of home, you cannot have peace in the home if it's not based on love. But I think it's interesting here that the word of God talks about harming the home and it begins with the wife. I think, ladies, you have to understand the high and important position that God gives you. That harmony in the home begins with the wife. She has a ton of authority. In fact, Scripture says that she is the homemaker. That has very little to do about doing dishes and decorating walls. It has everything to do with creating and making sure there is a space for a family to be nurtured and protected. It's creating a culture that is warm and it can incubate a healthy family. I tell you what, that if there was, if you want to have harm in the home, having two chiefs is the first thing that you can do to destroy that, isn't it? If there is a constant power struggle in the home, will there ever be harmony? No. This is a hard thing to do because no husband is perfect. But I think it's important for us to say, how is she to submit to her husband? Well, it says submit to her husband in everything, but it also says as to the Lord. So what about if your husband, at ladies, tells you to do something that breaks the law? Would Christ tell you to do that? If your husband says, I want you to go and rob that bank for me so I can be rich, do you have to submit? Because it says everything. No. Because you cannot disobey God in order to obey your husband. Who's got the higher rank? It says, as to the Lord. And if Christ wouldn't tell you to do it, you're under no obligation to do it. So if your husband tells you to do something immoral, something is against God's will, do you have to obey that command? No, of course not. 
Obey Christ first. You have to submit to him as to the Lord. Would, the, would Jesus ever tell you to do something immoral? Of course not. <laughs> so here we find that we have submission, and you submit to your husbands and all things, but there's a qualifier. He has to be telling you to do things that are actually what God would have you do. And if he's telling you to do something that is immoral or is, uh, violates conscience, then there is no obligation there. But under general things... It's saying, listen, we're going to work together in this. I, I, was a, I, had, I worked uh, for a, a, a lead pastor at this church for a long time, 10 years, right? And, and I would go to him at times, and he would say to do something, and I wanted to be submissive. It's important as an employee. That's a testimony in Scripture that I must do. And we would not always see eye to eye on everything because we just saw things different. That's why he hired me because I was different. I had a different perspective. Was it submissive for me then if I thought that he was going to make a poor decision for me to just keep my mouth shut? Was that the submissive thing to do? In order to answer that, let's look back at Moses. Was Moses submissive to God? Yeah, I would think that Moses did a pretty decent job being submissive to God. In fact, he writes the old covenant, all this kind of stuff. Now, there was a time in which God leads the people out of out of the bondage to Israel, right? Or Egypt, right? And he goes through the Red Sea and they have this great thing and they go to the Mount where they get the, uh, Mount Sinai and they get the law and all this kind of stuff and Moses goes up there to get the law and he's having a great time with God and they're having fun and they lose track of time maybe, I don't know, but it's a long time has passed and the people are down there and they get bored and what do they do? They form a calf and they start worshiping it. And God says, that's it, I'm going to kill them. I'm going to wipe them all out. And Moses thinks, hmm, probably not the best course of action. And so what does Moses do? Does he keep his mouth shut and say, okay, God, I guess if you want, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. No. He goes to God and he says, you know what? If you, you can kill those people, I can get it, right? They can be annoying. But if you do that, what will the other nations of the world think about you? They will think that you just came and took all these slaves out here to torture them, right? To kill them. And that's not really what you want to have happen, right? And what does God do? He reconsiders, and he says, excellent point, we'll let them live, but we're going to clean house, and we get downtown, right? We get down there. Doesn't he? It actually, God the Father shows us how a great appeal, and Moses shows how a great appeal can be. Submission doesn't mean keep your mouth shut. See, ladies, for your husband, you are amazing help me. That means you have something to offer, right? You bring something to the relationship that your husband doesn't have intrinsically. You're different than him, and that's good. And he needs you to help. And so if your husband makes a decision and you're just always keeping your mouth shut, you're not helping very much, are you? There is a time at which you get to say, hey, here's a new perspective. Here's something that we maybe need to consider, right? And if we think that there is a, like your, your husband would take your family in a bad direction, you need to say something. But after the decision has been made, right? If you go in together and a decision has been made, it's now your obligation not to thwart that decision that you don't like. Because remember, you're on that boat with him. And if you punch holes in that boat, you both sink. And sometimes I know the temptation is there, just that's what you want. But it's really not good. Anything, if, when I was here as, as an associate pastor and my lead pastor would make a decision and I would appeal and I would say, hey, we need to look at this. And he would say, nope, we're going to do it this way. At that point, I needed to stop the appeal process. I needed to stop trying to help him make a good decision. I needed to start making his decision good. Does that make difference? Does it make sense? So even if I didn't originally agree with it, now I was fully on board because I'm on that boat with him. And so 
even though I didn't agree, now I'm going to do everything I can to make that decision work. That is what it's talking about here. And when we do that, we have a lot less fights, don't we? A lot less disharmony. When your husband stops thinking that you have a competitor in the home and starts feeling like he has a companion, there's going to be greater sense of peace. And we do that for Christ. It is a way that we, we begin, I think, in the home. We find when wives do this, they begin to reflect the very nature and create the environment that reflects God's nature of love. It creates that space because women are homemakers. Wives and mothers are homemakers. And that culture needs to start. And so that culture of love needs to start. And so he looks at wives for this. What a high calling. Now, husbands. There is a different way for us to be. It says, husbands, now love your wives. Now, which is a higher calling? Which is a harder thing? To submit to somebody or to love them? Love is pretty difficult. God doesn't say just submit to your wives. He says, you know what? You need to actually love her. That means lay down your life for her. And he gives us the example. Husbands, love your wives. How am I supposed to love my wife? Just as Christ loved the church. Oh, well, how did Christ do that? Oh, he gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the the washing of the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. Verse 28, in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. For he who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body. But they have fed it and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of one body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. And he goes on and says, it's a profound mystery. But I'm talking about the church of Christ. However, each one of you must also love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. You see that husbands, it's not about authority, me getting my way. And that's where things start to break down. There's power, men, that you have in the home. And it begins when you stop living for you. It starts when you begin laying down your life for your wife. It means choosing her good above your own consistently. Because that is the way of Christ. And it's not just always choosing her good above your own, but sometimes, and quite often, it means laying down your preferences for hers. It's laying down your life for her, looking for her benefit. Because when Jesus comes back and he asks us uh, to give an account for our homes as leaders, he's not going to look, how did your family benefit you? He's going to say, how did your family benefit your wife? And if she is not better off because she was married to you, then you failed. And you have to hear that. That's the high calling. See, a wife needs to be able to trust that her husband has her best interest in his heart every decision that he makes. doesn't mean he's going to be perfect. But she has to know that he is for her first and most consistently. That is the calling, men. And it is a high and powerful calling. It is difficult to lay down yourself for her. Because she's going to want different things oftentimes than you do. But you have an obligation and a responsibility to provide and protect and her. Seeking her good above your own. And I will tell you that it's so much easier to have a wife submit to a man who loves her than a man who is selfish. Ask any lady. In fact, you can think of yourself, have you ever had a boss that was actually about you and wanted to protect you? Men, isn't it easier to follow a boss like this who has your best interest 
and consistently proves that and is a boss that's just about you know ripping you off and making you serve really, really harsh things just to make them look better? Shouldn't we treat our wives better than, than we would treat employees? Love your wife. Love her. It's a powerful thing. In the Christian home, we can never justify this style of, of, of how the home works if the husband is not the kind of man who lays down his life for his wife. And it doesn't mean because she always deserves it. As the church, did God lay down his life for us and we deserved it? No, it says while we were still his enemies. This means this, sometimes your wife may be difficult, right? She might be acting selfish, right? And you still need to lay down your life for it. Doesn't that create a lot more harmony in your home? Think about grace. Think about how Christ lays his life down for us, the church. That's your model. Harmony can begin there because your wife will know she doesn't have a dominating, you know, dictator in the home. She will have a partner. That's what she's looking for. So love your wives, men. And in this, then, we, we find that it's, it says that it's a way that we imitate Christ. But it's also, it's for God, her benefit. It's for her own good. But also it's this, it's a witness to the world. Right? It says, this is a profound mystery. I'm talking about the church in Christ, right? And then he says, mercy, however, each one of you must also love his wife. And if he loves himself and his wife must respect her husband. How we live in the home and marriage reflects to this world something very profound about the nature of God. So as Christians, if we have turmoil in our home and if we have these dominating, these, these battlefields at home, and this is supposed to reflect the very nature of God because we were made in the image of God in this, and we are not showing love as the very nature, what is the world going to think about God? We have to change the culture, and it begins at home. And it says something profound to the world. So when my friends who don't know Christ yet live in battlefields and they live in turmoil at home and they look to my house and they see true love and it makes no sense to them that there is structure and hierarchy that has nothing to do with power instead has everything to do with us submitting to one another out of Christ, out of love. Doesn't that kind of open the door maybe for different kind of conversations? This is a new way of living and God says he invites us into it. To have peace in this home. But you know what? There are another person or people that live in our home oftentimes that can create turmoil. Alright? There's another whole dynamic. And I'll tell you this. There's hierarchy in that children should submit to their parents. They should. And I know there's a lot of people in culture that say that shouldn't be the way. You should have open discussion and just talk things through. And, and I tell you what. There's difficulty in homes, I believe, because of that model. But it says here for kid children, they have something to do. It says, uh, it says uh, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, for this is the first commandment with the promise, so that all may go well with you, and that you may enjoy a long life on this earth. Children do need to obey their parents, but look at this. Children obey their parents because it's in their best interest. Things go better for them when they obey their parents. There's a structure to it. Children are not slaves to serve the will and the whims of their parents. There's a structure that they are supposed to obey so that way they can grow as people and understand a a different kind of life and a different kind of way of being and that their lives will be improved. 
And so if we want to read that first part as parents and say, children need to submit to me, well, I tell you what, you need to leave the second part of it that says, fathers then, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. If you want your children to obey fathers, you need to do a good job of actually laying your life down for them and actually doing the work of helping them grow in faith. Benefit them. Don't exasperate them. Don't give them a lot of rules without a lot of love. Don't just command them to do what you want them to do. Seek their best good first. What this means for me is there are a lot of days where I, I work and I come home and I am tired and the, most, the thing that I want to do is just grab a book and shut my brain off. And my son will come in and he'll say, Dad, I want to spend time with you. I want to throw the ball around. I want to, you know, I want to play a game. I want to talk. What this means is that I choose his good above my own. Which means I go out and I play ball. It means I go talk with him. And there are other times my son will, because he's, he's not perfect, he's a good kid, but he's not perfect, and he'll talk back to his mom. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to have to worry. I just want to relax But you know what? For his good, I can't let him continue to do that. Because when he disrespects my wife, someday he's going to disrespect his wife. And he's going to have more difficulty in life. I have to step up when those times when I don't want to say anything. I've got to step up and I've got to say something. I've got to discipline when I don't want to. I've got to do it in love. I have to lay down my life for my children. That's the calling. And when I do that, guess what? When my son knows that consistently I choose his good above my own, it makes it a lot more easy for him to obey me, doesn't it? doesn't mean he always wants to. But ultimately, at the end of the day, he, he knows that it's about his good. I was interesting, I was reading last night um, a statistic that you find on, uh, there's a uh, website, uh, uh, Wikipedia. Have you ever seen that website? It's crazy because you never know if it's true or not. So I was reading about church statistics because I had one of those times where I was just kind of sitting there. I was like, hmm, I wonder what the, uh, the churches are. Churches growing across the world or are they shrinking across the world globally? And so I looked it up and Wikipedia in this neat article. In that article, which was a very secular article, by the way, not a pro-Christian article by uh, I would say any stretch, but it was interesting. It goes in there and it goes under demographics and it talks about the importance of fathers. And it breaks it down and it says... If, uh, if you have a mom who is a, a very faithful woman and goes to the church three out of four Sundays and, and brings her kids, and she has a husband who doesn't ever go to church, he's not involved, 1.5 out of every 100 kids that are in that will eventually grow up someday to be, to be real consistent in church. 1.5 out of 100. If a father who is very consistent and loves the Lord and goes to church three out of four Sundays, right? He does that, and then uh, his, his wife, the mom, goes to church zero out of four Sundays. She's not involved at in all. Uh, 44.7 out of 100 kids will grow up and become active parts of their, of their church. If, if, a, if a mom comes to faith, and she's the first one who comes to faith in her family, one out of four of her children will probably follow in faith later on in life. If a father is the first one to come to faith in his family, over nine out of ten of his children will come to faith. There is power, dads. That's why it addresses you and raising of the kids. And we have pushed this off to our wives. She's supposed to be a helpmeet in this and stand with us. But dads, you have to be involved. You have a high place in helping your children grow. That is a Christian home. It is right. It is commanded. It brings blessing. This is a great thing. And so, 
now that we've had harmony in, in the marriage and harmony in, in, in parenting, let's talk about harmony and responsibility. Because Paul talks about something that we're really uncomfortable with, and that's slavery. For good reason. He says here um, in verse 5, he says, Slaves now, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear, with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know that the Lord will reward each one for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. Now, this is a hard one for us because it's controversial, right? Because it's saying, Paul's saying that he loves slavery. No, other place in Scripture says, hey, if you're a slave and you can get free, do it. We understand that unlike family, unlike church, slavery is not an institution that God set up. That's one of those institutions that people set up. But I find it cool in Scripture that God deals with us in the midst of our brokenness. And in Rome, slavery was a real thing. There were a lot of slaves. Most households had them. In fact, if you were a slave, your family were your owners. Did God abandon those people? No. In fact, he elevates them and he says, all right, if this is the family, this is the home environment you find yourself in, this is how you're to operate. If you want to have harmony in the home, slaves, obey your masters. Now, we also see that this can apply to work for us. And so for us, since we don't have slavery, praise the Lord, in our society, we get to be, but we still have to work. We understand that these are the same kind of things. So for us, we understand, hey, listen, if you're an employee, work hard. Because you're not just working for yourself. You're working for God, Right? And so uh, we have to serve, just as we serve Christ, it says serve your master as you were serving Christ. How do we do that? Well, how do we serve Christ? Out of respect, out of fear, out of sincerity, right? It's not about just doing my job just to get a paycheck, not anymore. We recognize our life, our mission, your jobs, our mission fields. Work hard because you work for God. And as we do that, we we say in Christ, we have a good work ethic. If I know that what I do matters for eternity, I'm going to have a different work ethic. If God asked me, he said, hey, Aaron, I want you to make a hundred peanut butter sandwiches for something that I've got going on in heaven, right? I'm having the angels over and they want peanut butter sandwiches, right? Wouldn't I make like awesome peanut butter sandwiches? Like if I was working for Jesus, like he came in and said that, I would make amazing peanut butter sandwiches, See, that's the difference. It's who I work for. And it says, work for God. Recognize that what we do, we do with excellence because my work, no matter how menial it may seem on this earth, I'm actually working for God. And God will reward that work. He sees it. Even if people on this earth don't. That's why Christians are supposed to have the very best work ethic of all people. We should be the very best employees. We don't just work when our boss is looking at us. We work for God because he's always looking at us. That's the difference. Now, there's something for, for masters as well. And this was something that was very controversial when it was written. This is something that would have made Paul not very popular with a lot of folks. But he says it anyway, verse 9, And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. What? <laughs> I'm supposed to submit myself to my slave? Care for them like I'm serving Christ? Oh, that's what it says. It says, Since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no favoritism with him. Did Paul just say that people are equal even if they have different station? Yes, he did. He did very boldly. And he says, you have to begin to operate. If you are a boss in a different understanding, your, your employees are not just there to make you wealthy. 
They are humans that are your equal, and God sees them, and he cares how you treat them. So if you have employees, it says we have to be under a higher standard. It's not just about giving, getting every little thing out of them for the bottom line. How we treat them matters very deeply to God. And there is no favoritism in our Father. He will reward us for what we have done. And he will discipline us for the ways that we need a little bit of help and encouragement to get on the right path. He's a good father like that. Now, I know that what we have here today is not the most politically correct of all messages. I get that, right? But that's one of the beauties of this thing. Is that God's not about what's politically correct. What's politically correct isn't working. And he's inviting us to have something beautiful in life, actual harmony in the home. Now, to understand in order for this to happen, it's got to be a home that's filled by the Spirit. This has got to be empowered by God, which is why it can't work outside of the church. That's why he talks about family in terms of the church. We can't just go out and start like a bunch of things and tell people that don't have Christ in their life to start living this type of life. Where is the power to be selfless? Where is the example to what it means to be selfless, right? Where is the change within them to develop those fruits of love that make this possible? But if we are in Christ, we have a wonderful opportunity to live a whole different kind of life, to enjoy something that most people in this world cannot, and that is a peaceful home. And a peaceful home becomes the foundation of a beautiful church. And a church that is filled with harmony and love and is a grace-filled church becomes a catalyst of light and love in our community. If we begin to change the world, let's start by changing ourselves and allowing God to change us so that we can change our families. Let's start at home. And so it's a power from within that motivates this, right? It is power from the Spirit, not, not force from the outside. It's change from the inside, and it begins with how we love one another. So, how do we apply this? Well, I think there's the first thing that we need to do is we need to start memorizing that passage to submit to one another out of reverence, right, for Christ. That's where it begins. Let's begin loving one another at home because we love God. Not because it's easy, not because they deserve it, not because it's always fair, because it's not going to be. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And can you force another person to submit to you? Not according to how God's system works. Does he force us to submit to him? No. He lets us come willingly. But we can choose ourselves to submit to one another, can't we? You have the power to love the people you live with to lay down your life for them. And the power to do that is gonna, is, is, uh, has to be pretty strong because it's, it's hard to want to lay down your life for other people. We want to be selfish. So memorize this verse. If you take your connection card, you look on the back, that's the first commitment I'm going to challenge you to make today. Memorize Ephesians 5.21. Let's get off the power trip that's brought disharmony in our home. Can we do that? Can we start to love one another? Can we allow God's word to challenge us when I want to impose my will upon another person? Can I begin to start thinking, wait a second, am I doing what's loving for that person? Am I seeking their good above my own? Am I submitting to one another out of my reverence for Christ? Let God's word help you. So maybe this week, this is what you begin with. Start memorizing it, meditating on it. How about this? Another thing that you can do is why don't you read the passages in Ephesians? Ephesians 5, 18 through 6, 9. I mean, that's going to be a great thing. Read that. We talked about it today. Read the actual Word of God yourself. See what it says. Do business with God. I might have said things today that 
was totally different than what you had ever heard, right? Or never thought of. Don't listen to Aaron. Listen to God. Go to his word yourself. Read it. Study it. Maybe this week, take time and say, I want to do this. Because what is most important? Not that we're faithful, but don't you also want to have a peaceful home, a home filled with harmony? Start here. Or how about this? Something that we can all do is, why don't we pray for our families? Some of you, are, we're all at different stages, right? Of, of, of having family. <laughs> and so this begins with the church, the family of God has to honor family. And we've got a lot of families in here that have a lot of trouble and need a lot of support and are in a culture that wants to destroy family. Pray for our families. And that's something that we can all do. Pray for the wives in our, in our church. That they will have the, the ability to be able to submit to their husbands. That God will protect them. That he will protect that wonderful vulnerability. That it is not a weakness whatsoever, but God will use that and they will be able to be empowered to create a space for harmony. Pray for our, the husbands in our church and the fathers that they will have the courage to lay themselves down for their families regularly. To say no to self and to say yes to them. That's going to take a lot of help. <laughs> So why don't you pray that God will protect the families of this church? Do that. Or how about this? Maybe your thing is this week is you're going to do your part. Maybe some of the stuff I talked today was just kind of being real convicting. You're like, okay, you can't play the role of somebody else. You've got to do your part. And maybe this week you say, you know what? I'm going to do business with God. I'm going to memorize his word. I'm going to go to the word myself to make sure that it's actually my role to play. But I'm going to do it. If God tells me this is what I need to do, I'm going to do my part and my family. And I will tell you that there is going to be at least one person that's praying for you this week, and that's me. So let me know that, and I will be encouraging you and praying for you. Maybe there's another crest you have, another decision that you need to make. Write those down. Know that you'll have my support. I certainly want to help you. If you have a prayer request, write that down. It's a big week. Uh, let me know how to pray for you. Um, I added it up this week. You know how long it takes me to pray through every person in the church now? This is so great. It takes me 11 hours. If I spend one minute on every person... <laughs> Help me not have to think of what I need to pray for you. <laughs> Write it down so I can go and I can pray for you this week. That would be awesome. That would be a great help. Um, I would sure appreciate that. And then here in a minute, we're going to take our offerings. Take our offerings. Take your commitments. Put them in the offering basket. Make this an offering of yourself to God. All right, let's pray. Father, Lord, we are grateful that you are exactly what we can call you. Father, that you've made this church a family. And then, in fact, in Scripture, we find that in terms of family, you use most often for the church far more than anything else. And that shows us how much you love us. And that you want our church to be a place of harmony. And if our church is going to be a place of harmony and of peace, then our homes need to be a place of harmony and peace. And this world is not one that, uh, that that's easy for that to happen. And Lord, we admit that oftentimes the reason that we don't have harmony in our homes is ourselves. And really, if we want to be honest, it has to do with our selfishness. So, Father, I pray for each one of us as we come before Christ is that over and over again we saw in this, this uh, section of Scripture it says we are to serve one another as we are serving you. And we're supposed to follow Christ's example in doing this. Father, help us to do that because it's hard. It is really hard to not be selfish. It is really hard to trust other people with love, especially if, if they're not loving us back. So, Father, I pray that you would help us as a church Lord, that we would be willing to sacrifice Lord, our, our desires instead that we would begin to care for one another out of reverence for Christ. Lord, change us in this. And Father, I pray that you would build our 
homes, to protect the families of this church, those that are struggling right now, that you would put your mercy and your grace upon those families and encourage them and show them there's a different way and walk them through that. Father, may we be a place of encouragement for that. And Lord, I pray, Father, that, that in this, Lord, that we wouldn't find just a bunch of law and rules and ways that, that we have to just be subjugated to your will. But Father, may your word free us to live a whole different way of life, a better way. A way that represents and reflects your nature and character more profoundly to our community. And Father, I pray for our commitments that we're making today. Help those commitments change us. And Father, I pray for the tithes and the offerings that we're making right now. May those investments in your kingdom bear fruit. Not only that we would grow closer to Christ, but many others would be introduced to him and his love and his whole new way of living to be saved from this earth and to something much better. Lord, we pray all of this in the wonderful name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.